Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we are starting into a brand new series of sermons called Villains. And during the sermon series, we're going to be exploring the stories of some of the most infamous villains that we find in the entire Bible. And we're exploring their stories so that we can learn from their mistakes so that you can make sure you don't become the villain of your own story. And today we're getting started at the only place you can really start when you're talking about villains in the Bible, and that's with the story of Judas. So let's get right into this episode sermon. So it's been said that every good story needs a hero. And let's just be honest, we love our heroes. I mean, there is a reason why the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been able to release 25 different films that have grossed over $23 billion at the box office over the last dozen years. And these films have been based around heroes like Captain America and Captain Marvel, like Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk, like Black Panther and the Black Widow. So we love our heroes, and yes, that means that we love the Avengers, but we also love heroes like Dorothy Gale and her little dog Toto. We love heroes like Luke Skywalker, and we love heroes like Harry Potter. But the funny thing about all of these characters is, as much as we may love our heroes, their stories wouldn't be very interesting if they didn't include villains. I mean, Iron Man is a character that we love, and Tony Stark seems like a pretty cool guy, but ultimately he would just be a billionaire who likes to play dress-up if it wasn't for villains like Thanos. Or Dorothy Gale and her little dog Toto were heroes that we love, but they'd really just be on a casual stroll down the yellow brick road if it wasn't for the Wicked Witch of the West. And Luke Skywalker is a hero that we love, but he'd probably still be staring at the binary sunset on Tatooine if it wasn't for Darth Vader. And Harry Potter is a hero that we love, but he'd just be a kid that could cast a few spells if it wasn't for Voldemort. So yes, we love our heroes, and every good story needs a hero, but every good story needs a villain as well. So over the next few weeks here at Melbourne Heights, we are going to be looking at the stories of some of the most infamous villains that we find in the entire Bible. And we're going to be looking at the stories of these infamous villains from the Bible for a reason. We're going to be looking at their stories so that we can learn from their mistakes. Because we know that you don't want to become the villain in your own story. You don't want to become the villain in your own story. So we're going to be talking about what you can do to avoid being the villain in your story. So as we get started today thinking about villains and villainous acts in the Bible, there's really only one place that we can start. Because there is really only one villainous act in the Bible that stands out as perhaps the most villainous act, not just in biblical history, but in history, period. And this is an act, this is a story that takes place after Jesus has sat down and shared his last supper with his disciples. And he has taken his disciples out to an olive garden. But Jesus didn't take his disciples out to an olive garden where they could share soup, salad, and breadsticks because they just had their last supper. No, Jesus takes them to an olive garden called Gethsemane where they can pray. But a whole lot more than, ha- more than prayer happens in the garden of Gethsemane that night. It's inside of the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus' time on this earth will take a dramatic turn. And he enters the Garden of Gethsemane as a free man, but he leaves the Garden of Gethsemane as a prisoner, surrounded by an angry mob that's carrying clubs, 
and swords. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself in the story. And for us to really appreciate what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane that night, we actually have to step back and take a look at another story, a story that takes place prior to the Last Supper. And that's the story we're going to start out looking at this morning. And we find this story in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Now, the book of Matthew is the first book that we find inside of the New Testament. And there are basically two kind of books that we find in the New Testament. We find books that tell us about Jesus, or we find letters that were written to help us grow in our faith in Jesus and become better followers of Jesus. Well, the book of Matthew, it's the first kind of book. The book of Matthew tells us about Jesus, so it's essentially a biography of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 26, we're going to start seeing how Jesus' life takes that dramatic turn as the book of Matthew stops being a book that's focused on Jesus' life and ministry and becomes a book that's focused on Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. And this dramatic turn takes place in Matthew 26. So let's take a look at Matthew 26 together. We'll start reading in verse 14. Here's what Matthew writes. He writes, Then one of the twelve, who was called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I turn Jesus over to you? They paid him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, he was looking for an opportunity to turn him in. So like I said um, a couple of minutes ago, when you're talking about villains and villainous acts in the Bible, there really is only one place to start. And that's because there is one villain and one villainous act that has stood out throughout history. There is one villain and one villainous act, one villain's name that has become synonymous with the evil thing that he did. And that villain's name is Judas. Judas's name becomes so synonymous with the evil and villainous thing that he does that the author Dante reserves a special place for Judas in the circles of hell in Dante's um, first canticle of his divine comedy entitled The Inferno. And inside of this story, Dante says that, uh, that Judas is going to spend all of eternity in Satan's mouth along with two other traitors who are being gnawed on by Satan's teeth while Judas has the flesh from his back clawed at from Satan's claws. So why exactly does Dante reserve this particular punishment for Judas? Well, it's because Judas does what it might very well be the most villainous thing we find in the Bible and the most villainous act we find in human history. And as we keep reading a little bit further in Matthew chapter 26, we're going to see what this villainous act is. So if you skip down to Matthew 26, verse 47, we'll see what Judas does. Here's what Matthew tells us. He says, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came. With him was a large crowd carrying swords and clubs. They had been sent by the chief priests and elders of the people. His betrayer had given them a sign. Arrest the man I kiss. Just then he came to Jesus and said, Hello, Rabbi. Then he kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came and grabbed Jesus and arrested him. So in this passage, Judas, who is one of Jesus' closest followers, one of Jesus' first disciples, betrays Jesus, turning him over into the hands of an angry mob. 
And based on the first passage of Scripture that we read today, all it took for Judas to make this decision to betray Jesus is 30 pieces of silver. Now, I've got a question for you, and you can go over into the comments thread on Facebook and answer this question for me if you like. How much do you think those 30 pieces of silver would be worth today? How much do you think those 30 pieces of silver would be worth today? Now, we're going to be talking about how much those 30 pieces of silver would be worth, but it's fun to start with a guess to see what we naturally assume, what we naturally think this payoff that Judas, would re- that Judas received would be. So, in his book, The Murder of Jesus, the author John MacArthur speculates and theorizes that the, the, the 30 silver pieces that, Jida, that, G, that Judas receives for agreeing to betray Jesus would have been worth about 140 denarii. Now, in, or 120 denarii, excuse me. Now, in biblical times, one denarius was worth about one day's pay. So, if This payoff that Judas receives is worth 120 denarius, then the payoff he receives would be worth about four months' worth of wages. So that means the modern equivalent of that factoring in an average income of about $31,000 in America today, it means that Judas would have received about $10,000 in order to betray Jesus. Now tell me this, how many of you would be willing to betray Jesus for $10,000? thousand dollars what if i told you that john macarthur actually drastically overestimates how much those 30 pieces of silver are worth and i feel pretty comfortable telling you that john macarthur drastically overestimates how much those 30 pieces of silver are worth because this passage this story of judas agreeing to betray jesus it's not the first time that we run across this idea of 30 pieces of silver inside of the bible another time when we run across these same 30 pieces of silver happens inside of the book of zechariah and inside of the book of zechariah the prophet zechariah he has agreed to to become a shepherd and he has been taking care of a flock of sheep that have been marked for slaughter but zechariah gets into a dispute with his employers and zechariah decides that it's time for him to quit his job so before he quits his job this is what zechariah says to his employers to his bosses zechariah says If it seems right to you, give me my wages. But if not, keep them. So they weighed out as my wages 30 shekels of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it into the treasury, this lordly price at which I was valued by them. So I took the 30 shekels of silver and I threw them into the treasury in the house of the Lord. Now, if you're really paying attention to what Zechariah says, if you're really focused in on his words, you can almost hear the sarcasm dripping from them when he says, this lordly price at which I was valued. And Zechariah says that because he knows that these 30 pieces of silver that he receives are pretty paltry sum. But if that's not enough to convince you that these 30 silver pieces that Judas receives are worth way less than $10,000, there's one other verse, one other time that this 30 pieces of silver is mentioned in the Bible. This time it's mentioned in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 21, verse 32. And here's what it says. It says, if the ox gores a male or female slave, the owner shall pay to the slave owner 30 shekels of silver 
and the ox shall be stoned. Okay, so the 30 pieces of silver that Judas receives is the same as the 30 pieces of silver that Zechariah receives as payment from his disgruntled bosses. And that's the same as the 30 pieces of silver that an injured slave's life is valued at in the book of Exodus. There is no way that an injured slave's life would have been valued at $10,000. Not in the book of Exodus, not at any other point in human history. So, if these 30 pieces of silver, if they're not worth $10,000, then how much are they really worth? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. So, here's one of the things that we know. We know that one shekel is the equivalent of 24 garas. Now, unless you are an expert in biblical weights and measurements, that does not mean a single thing to you. You've probably never heard of a gera before. I don't think I had before I started working on this sermon. Okay, But fortunately, there are people out there who actually are experts in biblical weights and measurements, and they're able to tell us that one gera weighs 0.416 grams. And grams, that's a unit of measurement that we can actually do something with. A gram is a unit of measurement we still use today, and it's actually the unit of measurement we use to value silver today. So one gram of silver today is worth about 80 cents. That means that 30 shekels of silver would have been worth about $240. Now, if there's no way that you could imagine betraying Jesus for $10,000, then you're definitely not making the decision to betray him for 240 bucks. So what exactly is going on here? Why does Judas make the decision to betray Jesus, if it has nothing to do with these pieces of silver he receives, there's got to be more to this story. And the reality is that the Bible never tells us directly or definitively why Judas makes the decision that he makes to betray Jesus. And because the Bible never tells us directly or definitively why Judas makes his decision to betray Jesus, we have come up with a few different theories as to why Judas may have made this decision. And the first theory for why Judas decided to betray Jesus does revolve around money. And this theory, it finds its roots in a story that takes place just before Judas meets with the religious leaders and makes his agreement to betray Jesus. In this story, Judas and the other disciples have sat down and they are sharing a meal with Jesus. It's not the Last Supper, they're just eating another meal together. And during this meal, a woman walks in with a very expensive jar of perfume. We're told in the story that that jar of perfume was worth about a year's wages. And this woman takes this expensive jar of perfume and she pours it over Jesus' head, anointing him. And Judas is just outraged by what this woman does. He cannot wrap his mind around how anyone would take that expensive of a jar of perfume and pour it out on another person. Judas says to them that they could have sold that expensive jar of perfume, taken the proceeds, and used it to care for the poor. But don't get the wrong idea about Judas here, because he doesn't say that because he's altruistic, and he doesn't say that because he actually cares about the poor. No, Judas says they could have took that jar of perfume, sold it, and had the profits from it, because Judas was the treasurer for the disciples, and Judas was also a thief. So he knows that if they had sold that expensive jar of perfume, he could have lined his own pocket with the profits. So this first theory says that Judas makes his decision to betray Jesus 
out of greed. But that's just one of the theories for why Judas betrays Jesus. The second theory actually finds its roots in the exact same story about this woman coming and anointing Jesus with that expensive jar of perfume. Because while she is still anointing Jesus with that jar of perfume, Jesus actually calls out his disciples about their attitude for this extravagant gesture that this woman makes. Jesus says this to the disciples. He says, why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached, throughout the world, this woman's deeds will be remembered and discussed. So the second theory states that Judas agrees to betray Jesus because Jesus calls him out onto the carpet and he hurts Judas's pride when he challenges Judas's feelings about this extravagant gesture the woman makes. So according to the second theory, Judas betrays Jesus out of anger. And there's still one more theory that's worth us talking about for just a minute. And this third theory about why Judas makes the decision to betray Jesus is that Judas was trying to make Jesus the Messiah that Judas expected him to be. Now, like most of the other Jews that would have been living in the first century, Judas expected that the Messiah would be a conquering hero, a military leader who would come into Israel, overthrow the Roman Empire, run them out of Israel once and for all, and then reestablish the kingdom of Israel for good. And according to this theory, when Judas realizes that Jesus isn't going to be that kind of Messiah, Judas makes the agreement to betray Jesus, to try to force Jesus' hands. Judas figures that if Jesus gets arrested and put on trial and maybe sentenced to death, then Jesus is going to have no choice but to call down a heavenly army to defend him and to save his life. So maybe Judas betrays Jesus out of greed. Maybe Judas betrays Jesus out of anger. Maybe Judas betrays Jesus because he's trying to rush the kingdom of God to earth on his own timeline. But the reality is, for most of us, it doesn't matter why Judas makes the decision to betray Jesus. It doesn't matter to us because what Judas does when he betrays Jesus is simply unforgivable. And what Judas does when he betrays Jesus makes him one of the greatest villains, one of the most infamous villains, not just in the Bible, but in all of human history. But there is something funny about labeling anyone as a villain that a screenwriter named Brian Gadawa has said. Brian says this. He says, no villain sees themselves as a villain. They see themselves as a hero. So all bad people justify the evil things they're doing. Let me read that line for you again, because it's worth hearing a second time. No villain sees themselves as a villain. They see themselves as a hero. So all bad people justify the evil they're doing. But what does this quote have to do with Judas Iscariot and his decision to betray Jesus? Well, it has everything to do with Judas and everything to do with the way that we look at Judas. 
Because when we look at Judas, when we hear this story, Judas isn't the kind of guy that we can empathize with. Judas isn't the kind of guy that we can ever root for. Judas isn't the kind of guy that is ever going to inspire us. Because when we look at Judas, we see his bad, and his bad is just too bad. We see the evil thing that he did, and it's just too evil. So there is no way that we can empathize with Judas. Because there is no way we could ever imagine betraying Jesus. There is no way that we could ever imagine betraying Jesus. We wouldn't betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, whether it was worth $10,000 or $240. We wouldn't betray Jesus out of greed, out of anger, or out of our own selfish ambition. So most of the time, whenever we read the story about Judas, or we talk about it inside of a small group, or we listen to a sermon preached on Judas inside of a sanctuary space and worship on a Sunday morning, we tend to tune the story out because we feel like it's just a waste of our time. I mean, we have absolutely nothing in common with Judas. There is no way that we could ever do anything as bad as what Judas did when he betrayed Jesus. But remember what I told you at the beginning of this sermon. I told you that we are exploring the stories of the most infamous villains in the Bible for a reason. We're exploring their stories to make sure that we can learn from their mistakes, to make sure that we don't become the villains of our own stories. We don't want you to become the villain of your story. So we're exploring these stories for a reason. And there is an important lesson that we all need to learn from the mistake that Judas makes. And here it is. If you had gone to Judas when he had first started following Jesus, and you had asked him if he would ever betray his master, his teacher, his Messiah, Judas would have said no. Judas would not have imagined being able to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, whether it was worth $10,000 or $240. Judas would have never imagined that he would have been able to betray Jesus because he was angry with Jesus or because he was greedy or because he was trying to rush the kingdom of God to earth. If you had asked Judas when he first started following Jesus if he would ever betray Jesus, there's no way Judas would have imagined it was possible. But Judas did it. Judas betrayed Jesus. And you know what? We run the risk of becoming like Judas if we convince ourselves that we could never do anything as bad as he did when he betrayed Jesus. Or to put it another way, you run the risk of becoming a villain if you believe that you could never do anything seriously wrong. You run the risk of becoming a villain if you believe that you could never do anything seriously wrong. I know that's not an easy thing for us to hear because we're all aware we all know that we make mistakes and that we mess up. But when we think about the mistakes that we make and the ways that we mess up, we realize that they're usually pretty minor things. Like you may drive a little too aggressively when you're out on the interstate. Or you may tell a little white lie every once in a while. And it's not like you're out there robbing banks or committing murder. So the wrong that you do isn't really that wrong. But Jesus gives us a pretty stern warning about how dangerous even these little wrong things can be earlier on in the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells us this. 
He says, you've heard that it was said to those who lived long ago, don't commit murder. And all who commit murder will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be in danger of judgment. If they say to their brother or sister, you idiot, they will be in danger of being condemned by the governing council. And if they say, you fool, they will be in danger of fiery hell. So in this passage, Jesus tells us that just being angry is enough to put you on a path toward judgment. Just being angry can be enough to make you a villain. Just being greedy can be enough to make you a villain. Just being selfish can be enough to make you a villain. And you know what? We all get angry. We all can be greedy. And we can definitely all be selfish. So that means we all have the potential to be a villain. We all have the potential to be a villain. And I know that's not an easy thing for us to hear. Because we like to believe that we're the heroes in the story of our lives. But if you want to continue to be the hero in your story, if you want to make sure you don't become the villain in your story, the first thing that you have to realize is that you have the potential to be a villain, period. You have the potential to do things that are seriously wrong. You have the potential to do things as bad as what Judas did when he made the decision to betray Jesus. You have the potential to be a villain. And if you want to make sure that that doesn't happen, if you want to be able to take the steps that you need to take to guard yourself, to protect yourself, and to prepare yourself so that you can continue to be the hero in your story, then it starts right here. It starts by really realizing that you have the potential to be a villain in your own story. Now, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the additional steps that you can take to protect yourself and guard yourself and prepare yourself so that you don't become the villain in your story. But none of that's going to matter if you don't realize that you have the potential to be that villain. None of that's going to matter if you don't realize even the small things you do when you get angry or greedy or selfish can put you on the same path of destruction that Judas found himself on in the story we read today. So if you want to be the hero of your story, it starts by realizing that you could be the villain, then being ready to take the steps you need to take to make sure that doesn't happen. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this word of prayer, we all have to feel convicted by what we heard today, God. It's not easy to realize that we all have the potential to be villains, but you tell us so much when you talk about the sin that enters into our lives, God. We have all sinned. We all fall short of your glory. We have all been separated from you because of the bad things that we do, because of the sin that we commit. God, you know, that we all get angry sometimes. We all get greedy. We can all be selfish. So we all have the potential to become a villain in our stories. 
We all have the potential to betray you the same way that Judas betrayed you in the story that we read today. We can betray you in our words and our deeds and our thoughts and our actions, God. So help us to realize this, to realize that we can't be the heroes in our stories unless we are willing to fully rely on you. Because on our own, God, we're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to do things that drive us farther away from you. So help us see that we have the potential to be a villain. But through you, God, we can be the heroes in our own story. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that today's episode has convicted you and challenged you and reminded you that even though you think you could never do anything seriously wrong in your life, even the small things that you do can lead to bigger things and they can make you become the villain of your story. And once you realize that, you're going to be ready to start taking the steps you need to take to guard and protect yourself from becoming the villain in your life. And next week, we're going to be talking about what some of those steps are. So as always, if you subscribe to our podcast, our next episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And while you're in your app, make sure that you leave us a rating and review to help spread the word about this podcast to other people. And don't forget, you can also join us for worship every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Eastern Time on our church website at mhbclouisville.com. Well, until next time, I hope that you guys have a great week. I'll be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.